Great. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to JPC. Uh, go to page 927 in the blue hardback Bible. Uh, if you uh, have your own Bible, great. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's printed word out in front of them. Uh, if you're just joining us, if this is your first Sunday, welcome. We are going through the whole Old Testament, one book per week through the whole Old Testament. And that brings us this morning to the prophet of Micah. And uh, as we started this series, I had this crazy idea that if you could understand one key idea or verse within a book, you could understand the rest of the book. And so with that in mind, we're going to be looking at Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, although we're going to really focus in, of course, on the most famous verse in Micah, Micah 6, 8. With that in mind, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us out of the prophet Micah. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Arian, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Well, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open in Micah chapter 6. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, right now we pray that you would illumine our minds and our hearts to truly hear your voice. And Holy Spirit, would you even now be conforming us into the image of your Son, Lord, that we would do justly in this life, Lord, that we would truly love mercy, and that we would walk humbly with you every day with the cross on our back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, well, as we dive into the prophet of Micah, you know, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you'll know that as I've been going through the Old Testament, uh, the prophets all sort of harp on the same sort of key ideas, right? So the Old Testament prophets will call the nations out for their sins. They'll call the people of Israel out for their sins. And then God will demonstrate that he is going to be just in punishing unrighteousness and injustice. But the beautiful thing about the Bible is God doesn't just want to demonstrate his justice and his hatred of injustice, he also yearns and is determined to show mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And as we read books like Micah, what we realize is those two messages start to become more and more clear. We realize from passages in Micah, like uh, Micah chapter 5, that the way that God is going to demonstrate his justice, but also his mercy and forgiveness, is he's going to send the Messiah, a ruler. And in Micah chapter 5, we are famously told where to expect 
this Messiah to come from one day, this king to end all kings. And in Micah chapter 5, we learn that he's supposed to come from a little podunk town called Bethlehem. And his coming will be from ancient days, and he will shepherd his people well. But what we realize as we read sort of the prophets is we don't really even have a way to understand what's going on. Uh, So a little primer of sort of uh, looking at prophets. Let's look at uh, Micah chapter 6, and this will maybe explain what was happening. I was trying to read it in a way that maybe you could hear three different voices. Uh, But if you look at Micah chapter 6, what we see is here is that message. Uh, In verses 1 through 5, God is giving his indictment, his judgment on his people Israel because they are doing things like oppressing the poor. They are oppressing widows. They are using unjust scales. Uh, In the ancient world, you know, you had your allotment of land. And guess what the rich and the powerful were doing at night? Well, in the middle of the night, they would come and they would move the boundary stones so that the poor women would lose out on their ancestral land. And so God says this is part of why he's bringing judgment on Israel is because they are oppressing the poor and they're using unjust scales. And God says, why are you disobeying me? Why are you not following with me? What have I done to weary you? And of course, God in verses four and five sort of recounts the story of the Old Testament. He says, remember, I brought you up out of Egypt by the hand of Moses, and I protected you um, from the false prophet, you know, Balaam, you know. And I brought you into the promised land. That's what's happening at Shittim and Gilgal, right? That was when the people crossed the Jordan into the promised land. And then in verse 6 and 7, though, we get to sort of see what was the heart of the people in response. God is saying, I have loved you and shown you mercy and restoration and forgiveness. What have I done that has worn you out? And so in verses 6 and 7, and they say, oh, God, you are so hard to please. Come on. Could you be any more hard to please? What are we supposed to do? Shall I come before you and bow down? Do I have to lie prostrate? Verse 6, you know, this uh, questioner says, shall I come before you with burnt offerings? Is that what you want? Am I supposed to just tithe more of my stuff? Will that appease you? You hear how there's this disconnect between hearing the voice of God and this hard-hearted person. And then he says, will you be pleased if I gave you a thousand and thousand and thousand rams? Is that what you want? And then in verse 7, it says, what am I supposed to do? Sacrifice my firstborn? Will that please you, God? You see, we see in verses 6 and 7 that the people really don't know the heart of God. They think he's sort of like an old miser that just wants to withhold good. And it couldn't be further from who God truly is. God says, I brought you out of slavery And I've given you the promised land and I've given you just laws to protect the orphans and the widows so that justice would roll down like a waterfall in the promised land. And this this is what you think of me. And so Micah, the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, answers, he says, do you think that's what God wants? Thousands and thousands of rams? What is it that God wants out of his people? And what does he want out of people like you and me who also worship and believe in the God of Israel. Well, in Micah 6.8, he summarizes it in some of the most famous verses in any of the prophetic literature in the Bible. He says, he has told you, O man. And that man right there doesn't just mean men. It means, uh, in in Hebrew, it's, it's literally Adam, Adam, meaning man or mankind, human. You know, some translations may say mortal, right? It's a good translation because it reminds us of the first Adam, who was a mortal brought up from the dust, right? Well, God has told you, oh human, what is good? (laughs) 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You know, I mean, this is an interesting question for today's world. Because I know we're, we're, we're fraught right now. And um, it's an interesting time because even the mere bringing up of the concept of justice can sort of like trigger people because it's a hot topic for today. And to ignore what the old prophets of old say about justice is to ignore God's word. And so um, what we're going to do this morning, if I can as we look at Micah 6.8, is we're going to try to just walk through how the Bible is going to talk about these ideas. And then we're going to sort of maybe just reflect, if we can, about what this means for us as individuals. Um, I think the first way that we, we do this, if we look at Micah 6.8, is we have to believe a couple of things. Number one, we have to believe that God is the source of all justice, righteousness, and he is the source of all compassion and mercy, right? And so what you and I are going to do this morning, um, and I'm not speaking for everybody in the room because I don't know if everybody in the room is a Christian, uh, but if you are a Christian, what we're going to try to do is a Christian endeavor to understand what God's word says about justice and compassion and walking humbly in this life. And to do that as Christians, we have to know what is good, I mean, one of the great uh, ways to understand what's going on in culture today, if you would just look out in the world that you and I are living in, people are struggling to define what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. And if you believe Jesus is Lord, that Jesus died to, to demonstrate God's justice, but also God's mercy, you believe that God is the source of everything that is good in this world of everything that is true, and of everything that is beautiful. And we believe that God has communicated that to us. I mean, that's what the Bible has the audacity to claim in Micah 6, 8. God has told you, O oh mortal, what is good? <laughs> what God requires of us. And what is it? Well, Micah gives us sort of three things. Justice, compassion, and walking humbly in this life. So let's talk about those three things. What is it that if we understand about Micah 6, 8, it's going to open up the rest of the prophet of Micah and then also reveal to us the heart of God? Well, what does Micah mean, you think, when he talks about doing justice? Well, what does it mean to be just? Well, well people a lot smarter than me and many others have noticed that part of the, the difficulty and sort of the anxiety that talking about justice provokes in us today is because there are many groups of people uh, for various reasons, various worldviews or backgrounds, that when we talk about a concept like justice, we don't actually mean the same thing. And so that's part of why it's difficult to have a conversation about justice is because there's all these different groups that they may say that word, but they mean very different things about it. And I'm not going to give you a lecture on justice. Um, if you would like a Christian explanation, I think, and a thorough one, I'd encourage you to read Tim Keller's article on justice. I've posted it on the church Facebook page. It is worth the long read, I promise. Uh, but it, this isn't a lecture on justice, but I do think it's worth pausing. And as we look at Micah 6, 8, saying, well, what does the Bible actually say about justice? So what is it? 
And this is not going to be exhaustive, but at least it's a primer. It's a way to, to begin thinking about it as you pray to the Lord and you walk with him. So what is justice? Well, justice, uh, you know, very simply is being morally upright, right? It's doing the right thing, right? That's maybe the easiest way. Justice is when the court does the right thing or the right thing is done to somebody. It involves integrity and it involves honesty, right? This is like the character trait that we all want to possess because we want our kids to possess it like us. We want to be people who have integrity. We want to be people who are honest. We want to be people who are fair. And we want to do the morally upright thing. So how does the Bible then help us understand what is morally right, what is upright? Well, as I kind of already argued, to understand what is good and true and beautiful, what is right what is morally beautiful, what leads uh, to the greatest human flourishing is to be in line with the author of life, to be in line with the God of creation who took man from the dust and breathed life into him. So again, this is a Christian endeavor because we trust God is good and he is merciful and he will get it right. The bad news is that you and I are living in a culture with many competing definitions of things like justice. And so it's hard to always know, am I getting my worldview and my beliefs from God's word or am I just getting it from the world around me? You know, if you think about it, you know, I don't know if you think this is funny. I think this is a funny story. You know, sometimes I say something that's funny and you guys don't laugh. And then other times I say stuff that I don't really think is that funny. And you guys are like laughing a lot. And I'm like, I didn't actually mean a joke, but I'm going to roll with it and act like I did. I don't, I, I find this funny. That was my point. I find this illustration funny, but also very prophetic. Uh, you know, have you ever heard the story about the three fish? It's a parable. There's, you know, there's two young fish. They're very naive. They're very earnest. You know, they're very young. They're green. They're little fish, right? And these two young fish buddies are talking and they're swimming in the water. And then what happens next? Anybody know the story? There's two young, naive, very earnest fish and an old, wizened, kind of grumpy fish swims by and the old fish swims past the two young ones and he goes, hey boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim by, and one of them turns to the other and says, what the heck is water? <laughs> right? Okay, old fish, what's the point of the parable? Right? If you're young in the room, you know what the point of the parable is? The idea is we are influenced by this world around us. We're influenced by, you know, you call it the world or culture. We are influenced by these things, and we're not even aware of how they are influencing us. You know, and that's like the hope as you grow older and as you become a high schooler and a college student or you work in the working, you know, class of people. And as you become grandparents, you become wiser and wiser and you realize you, we are swimming in an ocean, right? And in the, in the way that you and I are influenced, it doesn't even have to be verbal. No one even has to say anything to influence you. Uh, the ways that you and I are influenced by the world are so profound. We are literally swimming in them. Find me something that doesn't have a logo on it. You know why we, 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 you know why we fly flags? Because it is a nonverbal way of declaring culture and in your definition declaring what is good and true and beautiful. And you do it to have an influence around the people around you. And we are all swimming in the water. But are we aware of it? So when we think about 
fraught topics like justice and mercy and what it means to have a relationship with God, we have to recognize that you and I are swimming in an ocean, right? I mean, you know, the other day, you know, you ever get on like a kick where all you ever want to eat is a hamburger? Have you ever been on a kick like that? That is what you call a first world problem. You know, there's like, there was never a Viking in Norway in like the 600s. And he was like, me want hamburger. Me grumpy, me hangry until have hamburger. You know, where did, where did I get the desire to eat hamburgers for like three days in a row? It's because I drive past billboards of what? Hamburgers. They didn't have to say anything to me. I'm influenced by that world. Right, so part of what we're doing, this Christian endeavor, is sort of attempting to step back from the water that you and I are sort of swimming in and listening to what Scripture actually has to say. And if I do my job well, I think I'll make everyone uncomfortable in the room, but I will be carving out what I hope is the beginning of a gospel third way. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a classic idea, right, that when Christianity burst out onto the scene, people didn't know what it was. They didn't know if it was a religion or an irreligion. Some of the earliest Christians that were martyred, they were called atheists. You know why? It's because they wouldn't worship all the other gods. And people would be like, well, where's your temple? And they would say, what? We don't have a temple. I'm the temple. And they would say, well, what sacrifice do you make to your God? And the Christians would say, what? I don't make any sacrifices because God sacrificed himself on a cross. And they say, well, do you sacrifice to the other gods? And they say, of course not. There's only one God. And so you can read about the execution, the martyrdom of guys like Polycarp, one of the first Christian bishops. And what they tell Polycarp is they say, Polycarp, say, away with the atheists and we won't kill you. And so Polycarp looks at all the people about to kill him and he goes, away with the atheists. But they were thinking he was the atheist. You know, what the Latins called Christianity was a tertium quid which means something else entirely. They didn't have a category for it. And I think today we have to recapture that Christianity is a third way that exceeds all cultures and is infinitely timeless. So what does that mean for justice? Okay, so let's go to what the Bible, I don't argue, not exhaustive, a beginning of understanding justice. I'm not interested in sort of the semantical arguments between justice and social justice and all of that. I, I, I don't know if I buy into that being that important, but I do believe that these are sort of two, two polar extremes that I think should be framing the way we think about justice. Number one, the Bible will say that justice is equity. Justice is equality, equal under the law, right? This is uh, another way of talking about it would be that God is impartial and he wants you and me to be impartial. So in things like Leviticus 24, and God will say, you shall have the same rule for the sojourner as for the native, for I am the Lord your God, right? And it'll go on and it'll say things. And this is where, for some of us, this is going to press us and make us a little uncomfortable. The Bible will also say that equity is so important that, you know, the, 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 the classic image of justice being blind, not treating people for their distinctive group is so critical that Leviticus 19 will say this, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And then just a few words later, Leviticus 19 will say those classic words, 
because you should love your neighbor as yourself. So biblical justice begins with this beautiful image, right, of not judging or treating people based on their socioeconomic class. And this is a big deal in the day of Micah and in our world, right? Those who are rich are more able to do things like bribe and get out of it, right? And so what the Bible will say, biblical justice, is, no, no, treat people equally and fairly. Don't give over to the bribes because that'll do the other person wrong because they don't have the money to bribe the judge. So if you bribe the judge, you've shifted the scales, so to speak. And of course, Shifting the scales is exactly one of the things that Micah is indicting his people with doing. He says, this is what you've done. You're shifting the scales. You're stealing the land from people. Right? So the first thing is the Bible will endorse equal equality in terms of treating people without any sort of regard for their socioeconomic class. You know, it specifically says, don't be partial to the poor or prefer the great. Right? So uh, it's about this being sort of morally upright, be fair, right? Um, I mean, this is the way you treat your kids. You don't give your cuter kid more candy. I mean, maybe you do, and maybe you're terrible, and you should repent if you're doing that, right? But we don't give our cuter kids more candy, right? Because we all know you're the cutest kid, right? No, we, we, it's about being fair. Well, what's the other aspect Remember, this is not exhaustive, but the other thing that I would say that should be challenging probably more people in the room is that when the Bible talks about justice, almost always, inevitably, in the same breath, in, with full honesty, with equal protection, 